Um, it's, it's a pleasure being here today and I'm very grateful to Doug for allowing me to fill the, the pulpit today. And, um, as I said this morning, I bring you greetings from uh, Bethel in Hawthorne and also Beulah in Kilvanath, um, which I'm oversighting at the moment as well. And um, it's, it's great to see what's happening in Kilvanath because they're actually getting new people coming in through the doors. Um, and it's wonderful to see that. And they just need that little bit of encouragement to, to, to press on. Um, Hawthorne seems to be a completely different kettle of fish. Um, I think people have become very complacent. And um, church is all right. It's there for the weddings and the funerals and, you know, for the times that we need you. But don't ask us to come any other time, which is sad. But, unfortunately, I spend most of my time walking around and going to people's homes to prepare for funerals. Uh, Tomorrow I'm in Clidach Vale, um, arranging a funeral there with the family. And then on Tuesday I've got two funerals. And then on Thursday I'm with somebody else for funerals next week. Um, But it's a mission field. It's a case of, if you don't come to us, we will come to you. And when I'm there, I see it as a God-given opportunity to pray in people's houses. I always ask permission to do so, first of all. But nobody has objected thus far. And in fact, they do get very tearful um, uh, by the end of the time that we've shared together. And it's, it's great to be able to get into people's homes and just share with them. Um, in their homes if they won't come to chapel or church then the church must go to them Um, so here we are tonight this morning I was very grateful for uh, Laura laying the 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 ground for us and all I did was filled in a few additional details that she hadn't already mentioned Um, and I'm I'm grateful that God is using her in this way because it also reassures me that I'm on the right path. So um, I didn't have you to do that tonight, but the worship group have done a great job. And we're going to be thinking tonight about the God who sees. And uh, we're going to look at a very familiar passage. I'm hoping I've got the right one. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. It's a very familiar story of Moses at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through to 20. So we start at verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But God, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said to him, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to you to bring you up out of the land of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. May God add the blessing to his words. Um, There is a a lengthy reading from the Psalms as well, but um, with my apologies to the team at the back, I'm going to refer to it as I I go along rather than indulge you uh, or sort of bear you down with another long reading. Um, It's Psalm 139. It's a psalm that's a great favorite of many people. And um, we're going to be referring to it as we go through this reading, uh, through our thoughts. I wonder if you've ever gone to St. Fagans and 
wandered around some of those old cottages and wandered into the setup of the bedrooms and looked there at the big horsehair mattress and the huge beds in the rooms and above that bed the embroidery that says thou God seest all. Now for some it would provide a great comfort to them to know that God was looking after them but I think for kids it was more a fear factor um, because if God could see you then he could see all the wrong things that you've done as well. And so a lot of children would be a little bit scared of such a thought. Or as a child, did you have that secret place where you went to, your secret hideout? A place that only you and a few select people would know about. A place that you could go and hide away from the worries of the world. Or if it was like me, a place where you could go and hide when your mother had discovered you'd done something wrong and it was a place of safety for a little while. That hideout made you feel that no one knew where you were. My gran had a wonderful attic, which was both a a place of adventure where we could hide, but at night time, where there was no light on the landing and the toilet was outside, so there was a certain receptacle set just at the door of the attic. Um, And you had to carefully go past it at night. Um, And you heard it being utilized through the night. Um, I think some of you know what we're talking about there. But that attic, during the daytime, was a place of adventure. But at night, it was a frightening place because... There was a doorway there. There were steps that went up into the darkness. And at night it became a completely different place. Well, as well as finding a place to hide from God, sometimes we find or we think that the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in may hide us from God's sight. But the good news is, That those who know and love God, no matter what is happening, where we go, what we are doing, we are never out of God's sight. We are never out of the comfort of his presence. It is strange, you know, we we church people and ministers have a, a knack of doing this when we pray. Thank you, Lord, that we are able to come in here tonight into your presence. And you think to yourself, well, where have you been all day? You know, have I not been in God's presence when I woke up this morning? Have I not been in God's presence when I journeyed here? Is church the only place where we experience the presence of God? That's rubbish. We all say it. um, And I know what we mean. And what's going to happen now is everybody's going to be very careful now um, in case they say it. But we all say it, that we come here into the presence of God. Whenever God's word reminds us that God is here, there, and everywhere, we're never out of his sight. But the bad news is that if we do not follow God, the same God who sees and knows all those troublesome times for those who do love him, is also the God who sees all those wrongdoings, those moments when we bring dishonor 
through his name. For the children of Israel in Egypt, they felt neglected. They felt cut off from Yahweh. Their suffering was unseen by him. That was their belief. Why was this happening to us? I wonder how many times we've said that ourselves. You know, where is God in the midst of this? Where is the one who was the God of our forefathers? Why have we been abandoned here? And we read that when God saw Moses approaching the burning bush, he spoke to him. And in verse 7, God tells Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. He hadn't forgotten. They weren't out of his sight. And even as you follow through the history of God's people, when they go into their exile, the same cries go up. Why has God deserted us? Why has he left us alone? I love what Max Lucado talks about quite often when he's speaking about the workings of God in this world. He talks about the lower story and the upper story. The lower story being what's happening in the here and now, what we are going through, what is happening, what we read about in the Bible. But then there is this upper story, what's happening in the heavenlies, what God's overall plan is, his supreme purpose, his sovereign will, that perhaps we find it difficult to see. For the children of Israel, they felt that God had left them. That was the lower story. But in the upper story, God was working through his purposes. And even as they suffered in Egypt, Moses was being conceived and born and rescued from the river Nile and into the court of Pharaoh to be brought up to be the deliverer that God would use to bring his people out of slavery to that promised land. God had watched over Moses right from those early days. And now God wanted this message to be passed on to the people. I have seen the suffering of my people in Egypt. But also the hope of a forthcoming deliverance. Now in Psalm 139, in the first six verses, David talks about the fact that God knows everything about us. There is nothing hidden from him because God is always with us. And one reason that God knows us intimately is that he is with us continually. The first six verses of Psalm 139 answer the question, how well does God know me? And 7 to 12, those verses answer the question, how near is God to me? Now there's a story of an atheist uh, lecturing at a university and he wrote on the board, God is nowhere. And after his lecture, um, a student who was a Christian went to the board and separated the letters W and H of nowhere, leaving the statement, God is now here. He doesn't only know us intimately, but he's with us all the time. And there is nothing that escapes 
his notice. We cannot run from God whenever we have problems in life with sin or with life in general. God is with us and we know and many people have used the words of Romans 8 as a great comfort. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be ever able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. David asked the question in Psalm um, Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And there is a, a sense of excitement as David starts to answer his own question. Remember we said this morning about starting off with the moans and the groans and then he starts to work through things as he's, he's almost a literary therapist as he's writing down his thoughts. And here he is asking the question, where can I go from your spirit? And then he starts to answer his own question. And I don't believe that the question here expresses any intent to run from God. He didn't express any fear in the first six verses. And when he thought about God, uh, his detailed knowledge of him throughout David's life, when God confronted him, David didn't run away from him. On the contrary, he, he stayed put and he learned the lessons, painful though they may be. And very often we find him working through these Psalms and breaking out in a song of praise in the last few verses. And in Psalm 139, he sees God's omnipresence as something for his benefit. Your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. David says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths, into the grave, to Sheol, to the place of the dead, lo, you are there. Geographically, David learns that there is nothing that he can do. There is nowhere that he can go to escape from the presence of God. He cannot go up to the heights and expect to get out of God's reach. He cannot go down to the depths and hope that God is not there. Metaphorically, referring to the highs and the lows of life, whether we're full of the joys of spring or we're weighed down with sorrow, God is still there. He is with us in light and life and joy and hope in the darkness of the sorrows that life brings, the disappointments that we experience. God is there. He hasn't left us. God promised to us is that I will be with you always. Even to the ends of the world, Jesus promised his disciples. And the writer to the Hebrews reminds us that God has said, I will never desert you, never will I forsake you. So whenever we feel the furthest of, from God, it is usually during those tough times in life. 
We shouldn't try to run from God whenever the times get bad. Job, um, that great character of the Old Testament who has been a comfort and an encouragement to so many, having those problems in life, he refused to curse God. No matter what was happening to him, he refused to curse God. And God not only knows what we go through, he is there for us and cares for us. Whenever he was having his troubles, it was his wife, I'm sorry ladies, but it was his wife that turned to him and said, look, for goodness sake, curse God and die. Let it all be done with. She thought that she had done something, that he had done something to anger God and that only getting out of that life was going to separate him from the suffering that he was going through. But death can't hide us from God. And even if someone comes to that point where they take their own life, and we in the church can be quite cruel um, with that, we can be quite damning of anybody who takes their own life without putting ourselves into their shoes at that particular moment and entering into their pain and suffering and thinking, what brought you to that point? But I believe that even in those moments, there is redemption. I believe that even in those moments, the God of grace and mercy can reach down. The thief was dying on the cross and he didn't miss out on salvation. So let's be very, very careful before we condemn anybody for taking their own life as being a defiance of God's word because even in those last moments there is still time for salvation. Distance cannot hide us. And probably the greatest example of that there is Jonah. God had called Jonah, gave him a mission. I want you to go over to, to Nineveh. I want you to, to, to tell the people of Nineveh, these wicked, evil people, that I love them, to turn from their sins and they will be forgiven. And Jonah thought, I'm not having anything of this. And so he went to the dockyards and boarded a ship heading in the opposite direction. He paid the fare. He boarded the ship in that pointless effort to flee from God. And a few days into his Mediterranean cruise, God decided to get Jonah's attention by sending a mighty wind which threatened to break up the ship. And little did this reluctant prophet know, but there was something prepared for him. A great sea monster, whether it was a whale or not, is open to debate, but it was a great fish. It was a great sea monster which was divinely appointed to swallow him up. And you know something that no matter where we go or where we find ourselves, even Jonah found God in the belly of a fish, in the depths of the ocean, like an olden time Geppetto looking for Pinocchio. God is there and sees him and God found him. And God recommissioned him to that work. 
Having said that, Jonah was a bit peeved off whenever he did what God told him. And the Ninevites repented and thought, well, that's not what I bargained on. That's not the way I was wanting them to see it turn out. Um, and, and he thought, well, it's time for me just to curl up and die. God had greater plans. His upper story um, was different to what Jonah thought. He found out from that instance, there is nowhere that we can go that we are out of God's sight. We cannot run in the opposite direction and think we're out of his sight and out of his reach. We cannot plunge into the depths of the ocean and hope to escape him. And in verse 10 of our reading of, of Psalm 139, it says, Even there your hand will guide me if I settle on the far side of the sea. Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. David knew that there was nothing that he could do to escape the sight of God. So Jonah discovered that truth of David's in a very dramatic way. And away he went, but God brought him back. Whenever I'm conducting funerals, people very often are comforted by the words of Psalm 23. It seems the traditional for a funeral service. And whereas, unless it is a chapel family, I don't specifically preach sermon um, in a funeral service. I do warn the family, I will not preach a sermon. You can see the look of relief, you know, flow across their face thinking, well, we're not going to get Bible bashed here. I said, I will share scripture because that's what I should do. And that's what I want to do. And I will share some words with you as a family. It's a cover-up. It's a mini-sermon sneaking in. But very often when we use Psalm 23, and we come to that one verse, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I remind the family, this isn't a place of abandonment. God is leading you through this valley of sadness at this time. He will not abandon you there. The psalmist says, yea, though I walk through. It's not a stopping off point. And you cannot have a shadow without a light shining. And the comfort of God's presence being there. And do you know something? It's the way I can get away with a sermon in a funeral service. But you can also see, as I've looked around tonight, there's been a few smiles and nods of the head. Um, even in a funeral service with non-church families, they take comfort from those words. That even if they do not believe in God, that there is someone who is journeying with them at this time. And I just pray for seeds that have been sown. I pray that God will nurture those seeds. And that in times to come, whenever they find themselves journeying through dark times, they'll remember those words. If darkness, if distance cannot hide us, if um, death 
cannot hide us, then darkness cannot hide us. And very often the scriptures remind us that darkness is associated with evil. You always knew the baddie in the cowboy films because he was the one in the black outfit uh, with the black hat and the black jacket and the goodie. The hero was always in light-colored clothes. I don't know. I never did like cowboy films anyway. But even in modern films, you can always pick out the baddie um, because they always seem to be associated with darkness. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's, I suppose it's our culture, the way that we, we see this. But darkness will not hide our deeds from God. God is light and God's light exposes everything. John chapter 3 reminds us, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In verse 12 of Psalm 139, even the darkness will not be dark to you the night will shine like the day, uh, for darkness is as light to you. And whenever we feel the darkness of our circumstances surrounding us and enveloping us, it still doesn't hide us from God's sight. If God can see the people suffering in Egypt and all that they had to go through, if God could see the suffering of his people when in Babylon, if God can see the suffering of his people, even in modern times in Auschwitz and all of the other concentration camps, if God can see the suffering of his people at the hands of ISIS in this modern age, or in China, where the church is growing dramatically and the authorities are trying to clamp it down, if God can see his people in times like this here, in what supposedly are darkest times. Should we not take comfort from that? David found great comfort knowing that God was with him no matter where he went. And we need to understand that we cannot hide from God. We try, but we cannot hide from him. We also need to understand that we cannot hide from God's love either. There is nowhere that we can go and there is nothing that we can do that will totally exclude us from the reaches of God's love. If we plunge down into the depths of the earth, we are reminded that underneath and ever and all around us are those everlasting arms. There is nowhere that we can escape from God's love. God has a love for each and every person that has been created. And maybe tonight, we are that individual who are facing a difficult situation. Maybe the darkness has descended. Maybe we have suffered some kind of loss. Maybe we've been afflicted with an illness or a pain. Maybe that wound is just too tender. Perhaps it's too early to know why it's happening. And maybe, sadly, there are some things that we will never know this side of eternity. 
But believe David. Believe the children of Israel. Believe what God's word says. God has not left us. We are still in the days of grace. God has not called time yet. One day he will. But we are still in the days of God's grace. And there is none of us outside the realms of his grace. He hasn't lost sight of us. He'll never walk away from us. And in the words of the anthem of the cop in Liverpool, we never have to walk alone. We should never find ourselves in a situation where God has not promised his presence right alongside us to strengthen, help, and encourage us. There are times whenever we will question whether God is or is not with us. Even the greatest saint within the church who on a Sunday can be singing praises to God in the highest heavens on a Monday morning can be brought down to earth with a phone call or a letter or something happening. Do you remember that time the disciples went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw the glory of God? They saw Jesus transfigured before them. And they were so full of it. Peter said, oh, let's stay here. We'll, we'll, we'll build up three tents here and, and we'll stay here. We'll, we'll remain in the glory. And Jesus said, no, we've got to go back. And no sooner had they traveled down the mountain than they were hit, slapped in the face with the reality of everyday problems. A man brought his son for healing And the disciples couldn't do it. Slapped in the face with the reality of everyday life. Today, we could be worshipping God. We could be praising Him to the hilts. We could be floating out through these doors on that heavenly cloud. And maybe tomorrow morning, something will happen. Maybe even before we go home, something may happen that will cause us to wonder. But that doesn't detract from the fact that God has promised His presence at all times. I see you in your pain. I am with you in your times of joy. There is nowhere that we can go where we can run or hide from God. There is no set of circumstances that will ever hide us from His eyes. There is no pain that we will endure, no tragedy that might befall us, no despair that we might feel. But God sees. Our God is Jehovah Rochi, a God who sees, a God who is there. And those words of Paul, for I am convinced that neither life nor death, angels nor principalities, things present or things to come, powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Psalm 139 leaves us with the challenge where the psalmist says, after all that he has written about 
about the presence of God, the knowledge of God, the experience of God, he then says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Our God sees all. Our God knows all. Our God loves all. Our God will not desert us. And that is why we can sing about a faithful God. Let's pray together. Father God, take your words, plant it deep into our hearts. And Lord, help us not just to know the words, but Lord, to know the experience in our hearts of your presence at all times. We thank you that you are the one who sees us in our times of joy, in our times of despair. We thank you, Lord, that we are still in the days of grace that you are, your arms of love are still surrounding us. And Father, I pray that each and every day that we will be drawn closer and closer to you. Whatever happens this week, whatever our circumstances may be, whatever may come our way, may we know that you are the one who journeys beside us. You are the one who lifts us up and carries us. You are the one who wraps us in your arms of love, you are the one who will never ever let us go. And for this, we give you thanks and we glory in your precious name. Amen.